Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning, Mercy Commons, and uh, welcome. Hopefully this is the last time that we'll be uh, premiering a recording. Next week, we will see you at 5 p.m. live or in person as we gather at Brea. But for now, we're going to continue part four of our series through the book of Colossians called Held Together. I'm going to be reading out of the ESV and we start in chapter two. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Why is Paul struggling? Uh, that word is agonia. It's, it's where we get our word agony from. It's an emotive word. There's a, there's a conflict Well, he's struggling for a number of reasons. Uh, The first reason is that there's no Zoom back then. I know, big surprise. And he really has a desire to actually communicate with this church in Colossae and in Laodicea. Uh, There's a sense of responsibility beyond himself. Uh, There are people in danger of being deluded or taken captive by human philosophies. But why does he care? He's never met these people. And Paul understands the power of the church. He understands that we are all united sons and daughters of the living God and that he has a responsibility towards his brothers and sisters. There's a love and affection for them, even though he hasn't met them. There's obviously a connection to his friend, to his friend Epaphras, who planted the church and is reaching out to help for him. And in those days, there was a long lag. Uh, if you wrote a letter to a church, and even and especially if it had to cross oceans, you're talking about a six-month lag between the time you wrote the letter and the time people have got the letter. Um, Paul, is, uh, Paul is in conflict and he's in agony because he doesn't know that by the time they've reached this letter, maybe the kind of heresies and philosophies and deceit that he's talking about have actually taken root. You know, a man called Swift in 1710 wrote this, Falsehood flies... And the truth comes limping after it. What Paul is doing in the Colossian church is basically trying to help them discern the difference between fake news and real news. And don't we know how difficult that is right now? It's so difficult to be able to understand what is real and what is not. Um, what is upright and what has an agenda. We, we, we struggle in the context of, of even just general information. And what Paul is helping the Colossian church to do is to discern that. There's also a a human element to his struggling. He wants to see them face to face. Um, And even as we have struggled during this time of COVID-19, it's a real thing to want to see each other face to face. It's a blessing. 
Um, oftentimes, Paul writes to the churches um, that I long to see your face. And oftentimes, churches have written to him saying, Paul, where are you? We want to see you. Um, and so I'm so excited that soon we'll be seeing each other face to face. The question we've got to ask as we read this passage of Scripture is, am I in danger of being deluded? Now, the, the problem with delusion is this. Most of the time, we don't know that it's happening. I love watching the Oceans franchise movies, Oceans 11, 12, 13, and, and of course, my daughter's favorite, Oceans 8, because it's all ladies. Now, what is the one thing that all of those movies have in common? And, and the one thing that excites us is that the person that is being conned doesn't know that they're being conned until it's way too late. And that's, that's what delusion is. It's, it's being in a state of being led astray without knowing that you've been led astray. So in verse 2, Paul gives us some handles on uh, how to make sure that, that the state of our souls doesn't make us open to being deluded. Verse 2 says this, that their hearts may be encouraged. Now he's talking about Laodicea and Colossae. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this, in other words, what he said before, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now, personal growth or lack thereof um, is always revealed in the context of community and the same goes for deception. So let's look at those verses and see what Paul brings out for us. We are in danger of being deluded when we are depleted and exhausted. Uh, Paul talks about their hearts may be encouraged. And so you are much more likely to be deluded or led astray or taken captive when you're depleted, discouraged, or exhausted. Now you know the old saying, you don't go to the grocery store when you're hungry. You buy a whole lot of stuff that you don't need and you're wondering why on earth did I buy this? Now, the same happens when it comes to decision making, when we're tired and depleted and exhausted. Don't make those kinds of life altering decisions. That kind of makes sense, right? But when we're tired and exhausted and depleted, it's probably not the time to re-examine some things that have been foundational in the context of our faith. The second thing Paul warns us in the context of the church, when he says being knit together in love, is that when you're isolated and separated, you are more likely to be um, deluded or taken captive. When he says united or knit together, he speaks of a unity of heart. And if you have a unity of heart, then a unity of mind is easier to pursue. A unity of heart gives us grace for one another. It helps us to bear with one another. We give each other the benefit of the doubt. Uh, we are pursuing the same thing. And what is that thing that we are pursuing? The knowledge and the glory of God. F.F. Bruce, a commentator, says, the revelation of God cannot be properly known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within the Christian community. Now, the Gnostics um, were desperate for the gaining of knowledge, and their desperation for the gaining of knowledge was a solitary and an individual pursuit. But for the church, Paul is reminding us that when brotherly love is present and continuing, it facilitates a profound knowledge of Christ, which in turn results in true wisdom and knowledge. So, in other words, loving and being loved by my spiritual family is key to a deeper knowledge of Christ. Once I have that deeper knowledge of Christ, it produces in me wisdom and knowledge that keeps me safe from being deluded. Over this time, 
uh, as, as we haven't been able to be face to face. I've received some letters in the mail, I know. For many of you that might be a, a strange thing. But as I've received these letters, um, I have been loved by members of the congregation. Um, and they've been encouraging and they've been exhorting. But the critical thing about these is as I've received these letters, because we know each other and are in community, I know um, that these men and women themselves are struggling through some difficulties. Um, and together, because we have a unity of heart, it makes us more connected. And the more connected we are, the less likely we are to be deluded by human philosophies. I'm not only encouraged by what they've said, but I'm encouraged that they are encouraged me, encouraging me in the context of their own suffering. So what are these vehicles of delusion and captivity that Paul tells us about? In verse 4, he says, I want you to make sure that you're not deluded. In verse 8, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, and the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. Now, these are different experiences. Remember, like I said, being deluded is not being aware that you're in error. But being captive, you're aware of. There's a sense of being bound and, and restricted. Um, and that's why community is so important. A community can tell you when you're being deluded, when you're going down a path you shouldn't be going. Uh, but community is also there to be able to help you when you're bound and in captive to be able to take those chains off you. So let's look at the first one that Paul talks about. What is deceptive philosophy? Well, let's look at the definition of philosophy. It's the study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, reality, and existence, especially when considered as an academic discipline. It literally means in the Greek, the love of wisdom. Now it's ironic because wisdom and throughout scripture, we, we, we know that wisdom is known by her fruit. Jesus tells us that wisdom is known by her fruit, but often, when you go to the tree of philosophy, it's pretty barren. Philosophy in and of itself is not evil. Christianity by nature is philosophical, um, but it has to be anchored in and filtered by Jesus. Now, the Gnostics weren't anchored or filtering these things through by Jesus. There was a desire for wisdom and knowledge, very similar to the age in which we live. Uh, they did not want to tie themselves down to basic tenets of faith and virtue. Uh, they wanted to use what they understood to be able to reach greater levels of knowledge and understanding. So what are some marks of deceptive philosophy that we should take care of? And, and we can look at the, at the context of the church in Colossae to give us some guidance here. Now, um, deceptive philosophy doesn't immediately attack. It's not immediately godless or immoral. If that's what they were, it would have been very easy for the church in Colossae to just push them aside. Now, all they wanted to do was just blend uh, Jewish practices, paganism and Christianity together. Let's take the best of everything um, and let's create a, um, a, uh, a, a wisdom and knowledge kind of uh, stew that suits us the best. Now, it's easy to reject someone who's crude, crude mean or unintelligent. And usually with deceptive philosophies, there's an eloquence. Um, they are designed to impress. They are, the, the people are whimsical. They're sincere and sophisticated and rational. There's an intelligence behind the idea. The idea has credentials. It looks authentic. It's popular. It's cool. Everyone is talking about it. And, and there's a touch of class about it. The idea of a deeper knowledge and, and the fact that this is unique. Not everyone can grasp this. 
Now, the danger of these philosophies is that they usually are not outright lies. Uh, they are half-truths that lead us into falsehood. Often these discussions make people feel inferior. They make the pure in heart seem gullible and they make the faithful seem stupid. Now, they're subtle. Um, sometimes it soothes the deep pain in our hearts. It touches a deep nerve. The people that have been hurt and disappointed by the church or by God or whose lives did not work out the way that they expected them to work out are most susceptible to these kinds of philosophies. I had a mentor when I was a young pastor and um, he ran into some difficulties and uh, and the church that we were part of was part of a network um, and there was safety and security in, in being able to submit to those men. And, and, and they suggested that, that he and his wife take some time off, step back from leadership to be able to, to really heal so that they could be restored. Um, and he didn't, he didn't like that. He didn't necessarily like the way that it was handled. Um, he felt like he wasn't loved in the process. And I remember going to his house one day to see how he was doing and he was digging holes in his yard. Um, and it's not like Jason, he wasn't looking for buried treasure. He was digging holes in his backyard and, and I asked him what he was doing and I said, well, if I can't plant churches, then I'm going to plant trees. Um, unfortunately, this man that led me and mentored me and, and was, was a key in me not only coming to faith but being able to love the church of Jesus Christ now is, considers himself no longer a believer. Now uh, there's a sense in which all roads lead to Rome and we've just got to accept everything. He was hurt. His life didn't work out the way that he expected it to work out. Um, and because of that, he was more susceptible to deceptive philosophies. Deceptive philosophies balk at the idea that there is black and white, that there is right and wrong, that there are absolutes. Uh, but Jesus himself says there is no other path to salvation other than him. Uh, Jesus clearly, uh, as lovingly and as caringly as he does, but always makes it very clear that there is only one way. Now, I'm not arguing for a faith that doesn't question or ponder. But what I'm warning us is the rejection of ancient truths because they've been maligned through cliché, through lack of nuance, or they've been applied with a lack of wisdom or a lack of care. We do need a mind and heart pursuit. But our starting and end point is to submit to Jesus' own words. I am the truth. Now, we can pursue Jesus. If we pursue Jesus, we will find truth. But we may pursue uh, truth and not find Jesus. I want you to ask yourself this question. In the context of discussions, in the context of debates, is this discussion or topic or idea creating a deeper love in me for Jesus, for his church, and for my neighbor? Am I spurred on to love, reach, and serve them more? If the answer is no, then you're probably involved in some kind of deceptive philosophy. Now, we don't abandon early basic truths. What we do is explore them, and that's a very different process. But if we explore something, we have to make sure that there is something immovable that enables us to confidently explore these complicated truths. Uh, we, we know that Jesus is our cornerstone. He's our anchor. It's, he is set. He's immovable and secure. I love scuba diving. Um, I've done it for a while. I've done deep diving. I've done wreck diving. Uh, the one thing I haven't done is cavern diving. And cavern diving is, is when you scuba in a system of underwater caves. It's dark often, you need a light, 
and most scuba deaths happen in cavern diving. Most of them happen because the person runs out of air and cannot find their way back. One of the most critical things in cavern diving is that you have a cavern rope. And that rope is something that enables you to follow it back so that you can go to safety. Now, it's, it's the same with us when, when we want to examine these uh, difficult and complicated truths. We have to have the cavern rope that is attached to Jesus. So that when, when we lose our way and we don't know which is up or which is down, which is left or right. And when our air starts um, depleting, we know exactly where to go. Paul then moves on to human traditions. And, and Sean will pre preach much more about this next week. Uh, but, the, but the Gnostics... Uh, they, they told people that there were certain actions and celebrations that were critical if you were to be endowed with the special knowledge. Um, and if you had special knowledge, then you were special. Now, adherence to human traditions is not automatically dangerous. Just like uh, participating in philosophy and the discussions of life, the universe and everything isn't necessarily bad. But when it replaces, particularly human traditions, when they replace Jesus add to or take away from him, then it's not just wrong. Then they lead to delusion and to captivity. For example, believer's baptism is both an instruction and a tradition. And those are things that we follow, uh, believer's baptism. But um, putting on your Sunday best so that you look really good and it being said that the reason we put on good clothes is because we want to show God how much we love and respect him that is not a human tradition that is anchored in Christ. Um, and we need to be able to undo those things. So when I was in Africa, we would visit churches and it would be 90 to 100 degrees. We'd be meeting outside, hopefully under the shade of a tree, but generally outside. And most people would arrive in suit and tie. The ladies would, would arrive in, in their literal Sunday best. They didn't use the dress for anything else. And it took us a while to help them understand that this was just simply human tradition. Um, that, that not only did they not need to do this to impress God, but this was not something that God had required from them. This was something that human tradition had required from them. Now, the wisdom that God offers us in Jesus enables us to separate what is a dead legalistic human tradition and what is a necessary means of grace that is connected to Jesus. An example of this is Jesus with the Sabbath. The Sabbath had become a way in which the Pharisees would separate themselves, just like the Gnostics and Colossi were separating themselves. I'm special because I keep the Sabbath. I'm special because I don't do anything. I'm, I'm more holy than you. And Jesus was saying, hang on a second. The Sabbath wasn't created for that. The Sabbath was created for man so that man could have an opportunity to be with God, not so that we could separate what is an A-level Christian and a B-level Christian. Um, and so it's Jesus that helps us make sense of these things. Practically, in our context, it is the participation in His body, the church, submission to qualified leadership, that helps us ensure that our interpretation is not flawed or selfish or unbiblical. The elemental spirits of this age is another thing that Paul talks about. And I remember two weeks ago, I went quite in depth into this. And Paul is reminding the Colossians of the reality of the spiritual realm. Uh, that the devil and his spiritual forces are in the business of lies, misinformation, and confusion. Uh, we, we, we remember that he is called the father of lies. 
The Gnostics had this, this hierarchy of spiritual levels that needed to be navigated by the help of other spiritual beings so that you could receive greater degrees of spiritual knowledge and wisdom. Now, this is not the case with Jesus. He pursues us. He gives us the gift of salvation. He fills us with his spirit and he leads us into all truth. Jesus says, unless you are like this child, he puts a child on his lap and he says, unless you are like this child where you simply believe and receive the gift that I have for you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Entering the kingdom of God is not something that we uh, academically pass out, but it's a gift that we receive. Jesus protects us from the influence, the temptation and attack of the enemy through the spirit that is placed within us, through the power of his word that we have and through the safety of his gathered church. So how do we protect against this delusion as a community? How can we be confident with so many competing truths that we are rooted and that we are anchored to Jesus and that the wisdom and knowledge that we are um, believing that we act out of is rooted in him? Well, Paul tells the Colossians and therefore us, therefore, verse six, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. And I said this before, the first thing we do is receive. Now, what are we receiving? Yes, we receive the gift of salvation, but we are receiving Jesus as Lord, a gift we don't deserve. We, we, we're receiving him as Lord, not just savior. It's illogical and theologically impossible to have Jesus as your savior the one that saved you from the penalty of your sin and not to submit to him. You receive him as a conquered soul. He has conquered your soul in the same way that a general receives the commander of a victorious army. And we'll cover this in Colossians 3, just as it says that, that Jesus um, conquered every principality and power. That's how we receive him. We say, you have conquered my soul, Jesus. You deserve to be Lord of my life. We receive him as the conquering king, not as some handyman that we tell to fix things in our life so that our life can be better. Your rescue, an undeserved and extravagant act of grace, is a transfer from one kingdom to another. In Colossians 1, Paul tells us that we were transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. That means that our identities are as sons and daughters of the living God, but we are also subjects of a kingdom who has a king, and that king is Jesus. That's why Paul says the way in which you are able to protect yourself from all of this is to receive Jesus as Lord. If you bow yourself to Jesus as Lord, you will automatically be grateful for his saving grace in your life. Secondly, he tells us to walk. Now, walk is something active. Duh, right? It speaks of the way in which we live, the decisions we make, the actions we take, the way we spend our money, the way we speak. Now, if we're living on mission, if our faith is active, if we're producing fruit, if we're outwardly focused, let's be honest, we don't have the time or inclination to debate theoretical and academic things because the practice of being a Jesus follower is producing fruit and joy in our lives. Paul says another way that, that you can protect yourself is to be rooted, built up, and established. Now, I love walking. I, I walk the Fullerton Trails, and, and right now is the time where the tumbleweeds are starting to tumble. A tumbleweed is, is, a, 
is a plant that grows up and then as it gets drier, uh, it begins to dry out, it breaks off at the root and then it just tumbles, hence the word tumbleweed. You're welcome, biologists. The difference between a tumbleweed and a tree is that I can walk past the same place on the trail and I won't see that tumbleweed there or see any significance that it has been there, but I'll see that tree. And that tree is providing shade and that tree is providing fruit. Being rooted means that we are connected. Uh, we are connected to a Christ-clarifying, glorifying community. Being rooted means that we are secure, that we are stable, and that we are able to multiply and bear fruit. Being built up means that we are in progress, yes, but being established means that we are solid and dependable. Lastly, he says, abound in thanksgiving. We said two weeks ago that joy is a marker of genuine relationship with Jesus, even in the midst of trial. And that gratitude is the seed and the fruit is joy. If we're a grateful people, if we're bound in thanksgiving and are giving thanks to God for what we have, it's very difficult to be annoyed at the same time that you're grateful. It's almost impossible. Try it. Now, the way in which the Colossian church was separated from these Gnostic heretics was the fact that they were full of joy. Um, the early church was separated from the rest of society, not only by what they believed and how they walked, but by the fact that they were full of gratitude and joy. And their joy was not based on their circumstances. Their joy was not based on their possessions. Their joy was based in an act of growing relationship with the risen Jesus and with his body, the church. Mother Teresa says this about joy. Joy is a prayer. Joy is strength. Joy is love. Joy is a net of love. By which you can catch souls. And joy is not just something that we experience for our own good. Joy is something that enables other people around us to see the kindness and goodness of our King. So to recap then, if we are depleted and exhausted or isolated and separated, we're probably more in danger of being deluded and taken captive by deceptive philosophies, by human traditions, or by the elemental spirits of this age. Uh, we need to be able to access the grace of God through the Holy Spirit to be able to receive Jesus as Lord, to be active in our faith, walking in it, being rooted, built up, and established in Him, and abounding in thanksgiving. Now, why can we do this? Paul tells us simply in verse 9, For in Him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him. We have been filled in Him and by Him, who is the head and rule of authority. Or, as Alexander McLaren says, All which we can know concerning God and man, concerning sin, righteousness and duty, concerning another life is in Him. He is the home and deep mine where truth is stored. The central fact of the universe and the perfect encyclopedia of all moral and spiritual truth is Christ, the incarnate Word, the Lamb slain, the ascended King. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your kindness and for your grace in our life. Thank you for the way in which you protect us. And I want to pray for my friends. I want to pray for those that are um, depleted and exhausted and those that are, are feeling isolated. God, I want to pray for the protection of your Spirit. I want to pray for those of us that have maybe um, not, life has not turned out the way that we expect and we're beginning to, 
to really just dig away at the foundation of what we've believed. God, I want to pray that you would anchor them in Christ. Jesus, I pray that your grace would be sufficient for us. And I pray that you, who are the fullness of God, you who filled us with yourself, will enable us to walk this into a world that so desperately needs it. We pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.